Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, it's Coach Freddie. I'm sitting here with Erica McBride, and let's start. We're in the eastern part of Pennsylvania. How you doing? Doing great, thank you. Um, it was, it's always a pleasure to uh, go visit our field and an extra special pleasure to get to meet you. Well, thank you very much. And how about you, Les? Oh, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day, sun shining. We just came from the hemp field and uh, it's, it's such a satisfying feeling, so I'm doing great. Yeah, and we met there at the uh, hemp field. We went walking through and some of the Hemp was what uh, 10, 12 yep. feet high, yep. and some of them were a little, little smaller, but oh no, it was looking good. Yep, it is looking good. It, it'll be interesting to see since this is our first year, we don't know um, whether it evens out or not, or you know, becomes a more unified height because it is, it is pretty uh, staggered right now. You had a little delayed start because of the seeds getting stuck in root here, right? Yeah, well, we had a, we had a couple of different problems. The first problem was uh, the DEA was holding up our permit, uh, so then that was a little bit of delay to get that finalized. And then when we finally did get the ex the import permit, um, there was a Canadian holiday in there, and then the truck driver sent it to the wrong border crossing, and then that was an extra delay. And then it was Memorial Day here, so that was an extra delay. So we didn't end up getting our seed until May 31st. Okay. And uh, so we didn't get to plant until June 1st, which was several weeks later than we would have liked to. Yeah, but it's out there in the field now. It's out there in the field. And it's also interesting because to the best of our knowledge, this is the furthest south this particular variety has ever been grown. And in Canada, it gets to be eight to 10 feet tall. And as you said, all, uh, already we have some that are 10 to 12 feet tall so it'll be interesting to see how much larger it gets here than it does typically in Canada. Yeah and I want to talk about you've been working in Pennsylvania here for a few years but now you're uh, got a, a promotion with the National Hemp Association. Tell us about that. Yeah um, I was just named the executive director of the National Hemp Association on July 5th um, and it's a great honor and, and it's a whole new world for me, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm getting to meet a whole bunch of interesting and passionate people all over the country, and I absolutely love it. Well, fantastic. So what's your first mission uh, as far as the National Hemp Association? Um, our top priority now is the federal legislation. Um, Representative, our Congressman Comer just introduced his bill about two weeks ago now. And we're hoping that we can actually get that out of committee and to a floor vote this fall yet. And hopefully get it passed sooner rather than later. Um, it's a chaotic climate in Washington right now. Um, and there's very few things that have bipartisan support. But this bill, as it sits right now, has a, an equal balance of Democrats and Republicans as co-sponsors of it. 
So we're hoping that they're hungry for something that they can work together on and that hemp just might be that, that one bill that they can come together and, and get some consensus on and get it moving. Yes, uh, we're all hopeful. <laughs> it's, it's way overdue. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, um, Les, let's talk about you. In front of me, I have uh, Hempstone Heritage One. It's a book that you put together all about Pennsylvania hemp. Tell us about that. Well, it was a labor of love. Um, I published the book, I self-published actually, um, 12 years ago in 2005. Uh, but it was a long process to get my book uh, published. From the start of my research, I started 20 years ago actually in 1997. And uh, I kind of got sucked into it. I wasn't intending to write a book. I only wanted to go to the Historical Society, read everything that had ever been written about the Pennsylvania hemp industry. Uh, but I found that very little was uh, written sp specifically about Pennsylvania hemp industry. Um, I was able to find a sentence here or there and a few paragraphs. But if I was going to get to the story, I had to go to the primary source documents like wills, estate inventories, and so forth. And I went through for a five-year period of, in, of intensive research, probably did a couple thousand hours of research in that um, time period. And then it took me a couple years to actually write the book and to accumulate enough funds to self-publish it. So it was eight years from the start of the research till I, till I published it. So, um, But since I published as coach, I found so much more. I have about another seven or eight hundred pages of unpublished manuscript that when I'm fully able to tell the whole story, it will actually sort of blow people's minds. It seems to me to be this epic tale that had never been told before for some reason. I was kind of liking it to uh, suppose you're walking through the desert in Egypt and all of a sudden you uh, trip, you stub your toe on something and you look down and say, what is this? And you start to uncover it and uh, here it looks like the top of a pyramid and as you keep digging deeper and deeper you find this huge structure that had been hidden from the rest of the world and that's kind of what the Pennsylvania hemp industry uh, history is like because it's a huge story that for many decades was was hidden from us and I've always marveled how they did it how did they erase uh, what was such an integral part of our culture and our history and our identity and everything about who we were and that was erased somehow from the collective memory and the consciousness of everybody in, in the state and throughout the nation. I mean Pennsylvania is not necessarily unique in the fact that it grew hemp. Uh, every state that is in the Union could probably write their own history about hemp in their state but it was especially important in Pennsylvania uh, especially in the counties of Lancaster, York, and Berks, and right here where we're at. We're right outside of Bethlehem, which is in Northampton County, mm -hmm. and uh, this area here has a unique history of hemp, too. The, the Moravians um, in the town of Bethlehem, they built a hemp mill in the 1750s, and uh, they processed hemp there for many decades, and they kept meticulous records of how much hemp they processed, how their the machinery worked and so forth. And then we're just a few miles away from a town called Hellertown. Um, Hellertown, and um, that was named after a guy named Heller, and Heller had a hemp mill. And it was just, you know, very common uh, all throughout Pennsylvania, from one end to the other, nearly universal until about 1840. And after that, it dropped off a bit, but it hung in there, and people grew it all the way into the 1940s in Pennsylvania. 
But my book goes into uh, some of those details and, uh, you know, really presents uh, a face, a different aspect of our history that a lot of even the best historians and scholars had overlooked and just don't think about too often. Yeah, it, it really amazed me when, when you had a whole section here in accordance with their wills. Right. Awesome. I mean, I, I've never seen this done. It, it says right here in the first uh, opening up here, it says, All the heckled hemp she can spin. Right. Well, in accordance with their wills, that comes from, um, you know, I have a lot of... When, when a man died back in the 1700s and eight, early 1800s, he wrote a will that would instruct his children to make sure that their mother was well taken care of. So she they, she would have to have a lot of things. A lot of things were included in the wills, like they'd have to have a barrel of cider, uh, a fat pig that weighs at least 100 pounds, a certain amount of bushels of wheat, even firewood. All these things had to be provided. But one of the key things that the uh, his wife would need to be supplied with is fiber to make their clothing. Oh. So their sons were instructed to grow hemp and to uh, break it and heckle it and uh, send it to the mill and get it to to uh, their mothers, uh, you know, every year. So the second part of that, in accordance with the wills, quote, all the heckled hemp she can spin is actually a quote from one of the wills. The guy made sure that when his wife died, she would have all the heckled hemp she could spin. And it's pretty neat because each one is worded slightly different. And when you look at these instructions that uh, they gave so that the wives be taken care of with hemp, it really gives you a unique perspective because you can see how it was actually used in uh, typical colonial and post-revolutionary um, uh, household in Pennsylvania. So, and that's just one aspect is, is the wills, but I thought the wills were pretty fascinating. Yeah. To, to find them, I had to go through 26 big, thick books that were like, each one was like, 10 inches thick, and that wow. contained like 700 pages, written in old-fashioned colonial script, and I went through 26 of these books, started on page 1, A1, and then there was B1, they were numbered, like, through the alphabet, or lettered through the alphabet, and each one had about 700 pages, and I went through them, scanned them, looking for any and all references to hemp, and uh, this is this is the result of, of uh, that research. Well, that's great. I opened it up here to page 48, and uh, I want you to pick one of these out and just read it for us. Okay, well, let me go to, uh, I'm, I'm going to go to the section where these guys, uh, the herds, because they're pretty interesting. In, in Lancaster County, the very first settlement uh, that we had started around the year 1710, mm -hmm. and uh, in the heart of that settlement is a museum called the Hans Herd Museum. And in the Hans Herd Museum, there's one really good, neat-looking hemp millstone. We call it a hemp stone. And uh, that shows that milling was, you know, hemp, milling of hemp was at a very early date. So the Herds <coughs> were known as one of the very first founding settlers of Lancaster County. And as we go through, this is on page 74 of the book, we have David Herr. John Her, Henry Her, another John Her, Abraham Her, Mary Her, Christian Her, another Christian Her, Emmanuel Her. It's just got several pages of people named Her. And in this one here, um, we'll take John Her. He died in 
He wrote his will in 1784, and he died in 1796 in Manor Township, which is right below East and West Hemfield Township. Okay. And he says, My son Abraham Hur shall deliver unto my beloved wife, Mary Hur, yearly and every year during the term of her natural life, ten pounds of good heckled hemp and ten pounds of good heckled flax. My son John Hur shall also deliver to her ten pounds of good heckled hemp and ten pounds of good heckled flax. And I bequeath unto my son John Hur all that certain tract or parcel of land which is granted and conveyed unto me by my father Abraham Hur and my mother Anne Hur by indenture dated the 3rd of March of 1760, situate in Manor Township in the county of Lancaster, as aforesaid, containing 106 acres with the sawmill, hemp mill, and other buildings thereon erected. So then it has his witnesses and the executors of his estate. Wow. But that was in 1796 he died. Now, later, in 1838, we find that his son, the one who inherited the hemp mill, his name was John Hur too. He died in 1838 in Manor, and he said, I further order, and it is my will, that my son John Hur, to whom I have given a part of my plantation, shall be subject to give and deliver unto my said wife, Elizabeth Hur, yearly and every season, in due season, during the term of her natural life or widowhood, with five pounds of good heckled hemp, five pounds of good heckled flax, four pounds of good wool. My son Henry Hur shall also provide her with five pounds of good heckled hemp, five pounds of good heckled flax, four pounds of good wool. And here's where the mill comes in. He says, I do give, devise, and bequeath unto my said son John Hur, lot number five, being a part of my mansion tract whereon is erected a grist sawn hemp mill. It is also my will, and I hereby give and allow unto my said son John Hur full and uninterrupted rights, liberty, and privilege to keep up his mill dam and lead and swell the water through the land, hereinafter given and devised to my son Henry Hur, as high as to the line late of Frederick Hur, and higher for the use of the grist and saw and hemp mill. So that's just a couple of examples. There. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, uh, you know, it's really interesting how they really wanted to keep the hemp was important right. to them, and it was important to their family and to sustain their family, and they wanted to take care of the family, especially the wife, and saying, "Hey, you know," and 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 I really like that. And, uh, well, one of the things I like about it too is a, a lot of the things that my wills demonstrate is that 20 years ago, when I first started this research, I used to go to museums and talk to historians all the time. I was sharing with them the stuff that I was finding, and I wanted to get pick their brains and find out what they knew, too. <laughs> and up until 20 years ago, he went to a museum, and whenever they heard the word linen, it was just automatically assumed that that meant flax. And they, it was even taught that hemp couldn't be spun on the spinning, spinning wheel. And that you use the hemp for rope and the tough coarse cloth and so so forth, like rugs and canvas for Conestoga wagon covers and so forth. So it wasn't fully realized the extent that it was used for homespun clothing and homespun linen. But my research shows that actually just as much, if not more, hemp linen was was produced in the uh, in our homes than uh, flax linen. And they said the Pennsylvania Dutch farmers grew some of the best hemp in the world and created made some of the finest hemp uh, products and they said that if you uh, would have taken the best hemp linen from that day and the best flax linen put it side by side even an expert couldn't tell the difference 
So I think that was kind of exciting that I was able to show the extent that it was used in uh, for homespun clothing. Oh, that's 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 awesome. So uh, so here we are, the first season of planting hemp in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, can you guys go through maybe um, the, uh, the the process of getting a permit and the costs uh, to the to the well, people? Yeah, all in all. Um, this first year, the program is is pretty disappointing. Um, the fees are, are pretty high. It's uh, three thousand dollars for the application fee. There is an, uh, a kickback at the end of the project of a thousand dollars. So at the end of the day, it's a two thousand dollar investment in the application. Plus, you have to pay for site visits and a THC testing. Um, How much would that normally run? I mean, ballpark. You know? The THC testing, yeah. probably about $200, $250. Okay. Um, part of it, there are some travel expenses involved depending on how far they had to travel to visit okay. the field. So that's a little bit, we haven't been billed yet, so we don't know what that aspect of it's going to be. Okay. I mean, in, in fairness, the Department of Agriculture, the, the, the people who are in charge of the hemp program, they're wonderful people and they're, they're very excited about hemp and they've been very, very accommodating. But the framework in which they crafted the program is what's disappointing. Um, in that they put a five-acre maximum, and their their legal staff just really took that DEA statement of principles that came out last year and took that as law. And that's what really shaped the entire landscape of our program this year. Um, we're we're working very very hard uh, with them and also with USDA to get them the clarification that they need in order to feel comfortable in expanding the program for next year. Because what we have right now, um, it's good. We, I mean, we do need to do research and we're thrilled that we actually have seeds in the ground this year. But ultimately, this is not the program we want or need in Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Now, anything that you would like to add to the podcast? I want to thank both of you for being here. and. Uh, you know, being on the I Have Revolution podcast. Thank uh, you for yeah, having thanks, us. Yeah, thanks, Freddie. Uh, you know, I'm known as a historian. So I have been deeply passionate and so intellectually curious to know the past, to know what happened, how this industry was built, how it got here, and every, every aspect, you know. Uh, and it's just been so fascinating. But this journey that we're on now is even more exciting because... We're making history. I get to see history as it's unfolding, as you do from uh, yes, traveling. Yes. And as you know, it's it's very exciting. And uh, you know, in years past, I used to think that. Uh, I mean, I'm not a farmer, and I didn't think that I would ever be involved in the actual growing of the crop. And I didn't know it, to be a part of this team, led by Erica and Jeff Whaling, and uh, to be a part of the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council. And to be able to go up to this field all the time to monitor it and, uh, you know, just to see it and experience it, it's just incredible. And, uh, you know, I know it's just a plant. It's just hemp. People say, what's the big deal about it? And, you know, we want to get to that point where uh, it's just another beautiful crop grown in the field. But as of now, because of the fact that it's been illegal, and the knowledge of it has been suppressed and erased from their view. Well, we're bringing it back. 
Yeah. We're bringing back the knowledge and the consciousness of the plant, what it can do, and we're bringing the actual plant pack, and it's really going to be exciting over the next few years as we actually build this industry. Because there's a lot of things that we've been saying for 20 years that were sounded fine when you're saying it at the time, but it's all theoretical and even a little bit far-fetched because a lot of people told us that it will never happen. Matter of fact, years ago, the state representative who represented East and West Hempfield Township, her name is Katie True, and she told me personally, hemp will never be legalized in Pennsylvania. Never. And she said, as long as I'm there, I'm going to see to it personally that it never happens. Well, I outlasted her, and yeah. we won. Her yeah. name was Katie True. I call her Katie False. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, our congressman was, uh, my congressman was Congressman Joe Pitts. I, I call him Joe the Pitts Pitts. And I tried for years to talk to Joe Pitts, tried to educate him. I gave him a copy of my book. I sent him emails. I showed up at his town halls. I talked to him constantly. He was so adamantly opposed to hemp that he voted against that section in the Farm Bill three years ago. And he, he tried to, like, hinder it. He, if it would have been up to Joe Pitts, the Federal Farm Bill, hemp, uh, Section 7606, that would have never happened. Yeah. And it's kind of sweet revenge in a way to have outlasted them and to prove that we were on the winning side of history. Well, you had a, you were on a mission. And, on a mission. You know, when you're on a mission, you say, whatever it takes, okay? Right. You do this way, do that way, but you're on a mission. Right, so now to see this unfolding the way it is, and, the, and especially the next few years, because we said we were gonna build a billion dollar industry, and now's our chance to prove it. We said that we were gonna give cash for farmers, uh, another cash crop, this is our chance to prove it. We said it was gonna be good for the environment and so forth, this is our chance to prove it. All the theory that we've had for years, now comes the time of proving. Proving the proof is in the hand, and uh, that's what we're doing. So I'm really excited about every aspect of it. To be involved, Eric and I, uh, we were the ones who got the legislation introduced. We wrote initial draft legislation that became SB 50. We worked with uh, the sponsor of the House bill. We lobbied to have hearings. We educated every member of uh, the state uh, house and senate, and it worked because when it came down to it, every single Republican and every single Democrat voted yes. We won 233 to zero, and that was such a fantastic feeling. So we, you know, we did a lot of things right, and we're just going to stay on that path. And and I'm just so excited. America? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I could possibly add to that. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it, it's it's just the being an activist is sometimes thankless work, yeah. and to be able to reach this point where you can actually see the fruits of your labor yeah. and have this experience of joy in seeing the living, breathing hemp plant in a field is is just sort of beyond words and. It renews my, my faith and my commitment to wanting to get it done. And then I'm also extra thrilled to have the opportunity on a national stage to hopefully bring this feeling to everybody in every state in the country. That's fantastic. One, one more thing I'd like to add is sure. that when Governor Wolf signed, uh, did the ceremonial signing of the industrial hemp legislation, I used that opportunity to ask Erica for her hand in marriage. And I asked her in front of the governor uh, at the signing, would she please marry me in a Pennsylvania hemp field? 
the way the projects came out so fast uh, this year, we didn't get a chance to plant this year, but next year, we hope to be married in a Pennsylvania hemp field. Yeah, I want to be there. All right. I want to be there. Okay. <laughs> awesome. That'd be great. Right in the middle of the hemp field. Oh, that'd be great. Well, uh, I want to thank you both, uh, Erica and Les, uh, for being guests on the iHemp Revolution podcast. Any last words? The, the website and okay. Facebook page for uh, Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council. Okay. And also, if you're interested in more national level, look up uh, the National Hemp Association, both the website and Facebook page. And uh, stay tuned, and you'll be able to watch everything unfold. We're up at the field at least mm -hmm. once or twice a week. I post pictures of the progress that we're making, okay. and you'll be updated on all those things. It would be actually helpful if you gave them the web address. It's uh, for the Pennsylvania Hemp Industry Council. It's PAHIC.org. And for the National Hemp Association, it's just NationalHempAssociation.org. Okay, great. And where can they get a copy of your uh, Hempstone Heritage One? Well, well, Fred, I think you're going to put a link on, uh, the, on the site. And uh, we want it to be, you can buy it off of, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, actually the leader of another organization called the Keystone Cannabis Coalition. Okay. And we have a website, too, for KeystoneCannabisCoalition.org. And on that uh, site, you will be able to find uh, uh, where we sell our merchandise, like T-shirts and soaps and so forth. And you'll find, uh, you can order Hempstone Heritage from KeystoneCannabisCoalition.org. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Thank All you. Right, thank you. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today and make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.